Welcome to another episode of Based on a True Story. I'm your host, Eric Smith. This week, I'm talking to Mitch Paglia of Western Addiction. I want to say, right off the top, uh, I'm a big, big dummy and somehow managed to mess up my microphone uh, for this interview. Very stupid. And, you know, it's ironic and a shame, too, because prior to this interview, I'd just gotten a nice new microphone stand. I've got a whole thing going on here. I got a whole setup. I'm trying to make a professional production for you people. And I messed it up. I messed up the mic. So I apologize for that. It's still audible. You should be able to hear everything. It's just bad quality. And I apologize for that. I will fix it. It will be better. That is my promise to you. So with that said, Mitch is a very, very cool guy. Very fun to talk to. I didn't know that much about him and there is no information about him online. So I wasn't, I didn't really know anything going into it. So other than I was already a fan of Western addiction and I knew his bass playing, but I didn't know anything about him personally. So it was very fun to talk to him and get to know him, find out about his life, his career, uh, his thoughts, his opinions on bass, what he likes, his influences, those types of things. Um, It was a very, very fun conversation. And I think, uh, I hope you'll be able to take a lot out of it. I certainly did. And uh, yeah, if uh, please uh, follow Mitch if he's around on social media. I don't think he is. Um, but follow Western Addiction. Uh, check them out if you haven't. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend Western Addiction on Fat Records. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, I have a Twitter at BasedPod, B-A-S-S-E-D, pod. Uh, I just started an Instagram at Based.Pod. I'll start posting things there, posting um, you know different photos and links to the episodes and things of that nature. And I have a Gmail, basedpod at gmail.com. Please send me a message. I love hearing from all of you. Um, uh, several people have emailed me before, told me how much I like the show. I love to hear that people are enjoying the show because otherwise, I'm, I mean, I'm going to keep doing it regardless because I love talking to bass players and I love talking about bass. It's all I like to do. So I'm going to keep doing it. So please, if you're interested... Um, yeah, drop me a line sometime. Let me know what you're thinking. All right, hope you enjoy the interview. And here is Mitch Paglia. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, I was just, uh, before we started, listening to uh, Frail Bray a bit. And uh, you, I also saw you recently put something up on YouTube, like you're doing a playthrough video of one of the songs. Uh, yep, um, yeah. Yeah. With, uh, was that the recording you did for that? Was that like your, I was, because <laughs> I'm a, a huge gear nerd. Uh, was that like your normal setup that you were using in that video? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's our, that's my uh, amp I have in our practice space. Uh, just got it like a year ago. It's a, it's a monster uh yeah the the that is the the setup you're using for that video is like my it's like what i consider to be the ideal setup for bass it's uh, it's, it's awesome absolutely perfect i it's the the galen kruger 800 rb uh-huh. um i <laughs> that's my favorite amp in the whole world i've blown oh, up two of them <laughs> all right I, I don't know what happened i just I had I uh, I used them a bunch a, a long time ago because um, uh, I was touring a lot, like maybe like I guess like seven or eight years ago now. Um, and I 
I bought it one originally because I saw that Joe Lally from Fugazi used it. Uh-huh. And I was and I was like early 20s, just like I was just in that mode of like, well, all these people I like, I'll just try to buy as much of their stuff as I can. Totally. Like, and it'll maybe make me a good bass player. <laughs> yeah, so that's, how you, that's how you learn growing up. You see, you know, the things that people are playing and uh, you just aim for that. <laughs> the worst yeah, yeah exactly. So. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was the mode I was in for so long. Just like, well, if I just keep, just keep like figuring out what people do. And I, I would just like, you know, I would listen to a band and I would like them and I would just like scour the internet and try to find out like, you know, what were they using and what, you know, what, what gear do they use and what do they do this? And, you know, and just like try to copy it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and then I had one and the transformer blew in it. And I was like, Fuck. and then I like, they stopped making them a, a while back. So I like contacted Galen Krug and they're basically like, yeah, there's not really a whole lot you can do, man. Um, yeah. And so I, I found another one because you can find them fairly cheap. I mean, they're just like kind of floating around for like three or 400 bucks sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got mine for like 500, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. But it's, yeah. But it's pretty decked out. I, I'm not much of a gearhead. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of clueless, but I, I, I didn't really own an amp, amp up until uh, I bought this amp. And uh, <laughs> Jason, I mean, it, it became time to get an amp for me. Uh, it, I couldn't sure. borrow anymore. I was using Chicken from Dead to Me's amp in our practice space. Um, okay. It, it was time to uh, get my own. So Jason, our singer, went on a crusade to uh, get a bass amp. And uh, he found this metal dude that we went into the practice space, and uh, he had that that head, and uh, it was fucking killer. And uh, I, it sounded great to me, and everybody – I know who who hears about it is just like they love it. So and it sounds so good. And but yeah, yeah. It, the inclination is to uh, turn it up very loud, and I imagine that they explode sometimes. Yeah, and I think I was, <laughs> I think I probably looking looking back on it was just really like not using it very well because I very early on realized, you know, this is the best solid state amp I think that has ever been made in in my <laughs> opinion for what I like for bass. And I very early on realized, well, if I keep the master all the way down and I turn the gain all the way up, yeah, it sounds like this crazy distorted, you know, mess, which is weird for a solid state amp, but it's, it, it's got this weird thing where like you can really crank it and get it to like break up and, and distort. And yeah. I, I was doing that all the time. I mean, just like constantly. And I, I looking back on it, I was like, I'm like, why did it explode? I was like, yeah, that's probably the reason. Like, I, yeah, you know, I was just overloading it constantly. Yeah, I mean, you can get so many different sounds out of it, and there's so many things you can constantly be messing with on it. And you can just turn it up and just feel your pants vibrating while you're playing it. It's just it's <laughs> so gnarly. Uh, I have yeah. the eight by ten cab too. The Ampeg eight by ten is just yeah, it's just so gnarly. It's really excessive, yeah. honestly, for our practice space. But uh, <laughs> you know, go big, I guess, is the saying. We we found them for cheap, so uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, no, totally. I used to use one for the longest time because it was like a. It's just so helpful to have on stage to feel. I was just my my last episode of the show. I was talking to a friend of mine about that about like i mean part of the fun of playing bass and part of the reason i do it is like i like to i like to be able to feel it when i'm playing yeah like i like to i like that like 
there's literal physical air that is being like pumped at you while you're playing, you know? And it's like, I like feeling that that's part of the reason I do it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to feel it in your soul and feel, uh, yourself jiggle a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And the cool thing about the, the, the 802 is that like, I, it, it is, I, I always liked it for the distorted thing, but, um, uh, there, there's also like, uh, there was this band in the nineties called Tad. It was like this, like, you know, proto grunge band tag and Tad T A D. Oh, Tad. Okay. Yeah. They were like contemporaries with Nirvana and stuff, but they didn't, I guess they didn't really like blow up like the rest of them did, but they had this really gnarly, like, uh, um, on their records, they have this extremely gnarly way of just like, there's no distortion on the bass. It is straight up just a clean P bass, mm-hmm. just as clean as humanly possible, which I normally would think sounds awful, but they did it in a way where it's like, it sounded so heavy. Mm-hmm. They, it's just like, it's just pure, clean, high mid P bass. And it's just like, it sounds super gnarly in that context. Just smack the shit out of the strings. And that's, the, <laughs> that's the distortion right there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you're, but like I said, I was listening to Frail Bray and I, the tone you use, I don't know how purposeful it is. I'd love to hear about that, but it, it is like, I, it's exactly what I like in, in, in a base awesome. of like having this, like, you know, it's distorted a little bit, but not in, in like, it's not, not in like a rat pedal kind of way. It's just like that natural overdrive, you know, feel. Right. And it's got that high mid, like, you know, that sort of like attacky i always associate it with like west coast bands um and it's just like yeah and it just works really well and also you seem to avoid um i haven't had a chance to see you guys live but you seem to avoid the problem of like a lot of times you do that and you've got that like really attacky high mid like you know sound which is great for like a moving like surf baseline or something mm-hmm. but then when when there's heavy parts you start to lose stuff because you're because you've got none of that like you know big growl but right. that doesn't seem to be the case i mean it seems like it, it it you kind of found that sweet spot where it fits right in with 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 the heavy parts as well right uh well we just kind of showed jack shirley was the guy who uh recorded and engineered it and he knows what he's mm-hmm. doing uh and so it's <laughs> basically sure. we just we just told him I just told him what kind of bass tones I liked, and, and it's basically exactly what you're saying. Uh, bassy, but it's got a little something to it. It doesn't just disappear behind the guitars. It's got a little body to it. Um, we didn't use any pedals or anything. It's just basically uh, it was a P bass that he had that I used there and the Ampeg 8x10. I don't remember the head, uh, but, um, yeah, it was just kind of just smacking the shit out of the strings and uh, him kind of making it sound exactly how we requested, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I think the bass tone is is great on it. It's like exactly what I was looking for. Uh, I yeah. couldn't be happier with that. Oh yeah, it came out sounding great. I mean, Jack is Thank you. awesome. Yeah, he rules. He's he's a consummate professional. He's his place is beautiful. I honestly just wish I could live there and just be best <laughs> friends with Jack and just record like all the time. That would be yeah, dream come true. <laughs> well, he also did. So the the I uh, the intro music that I use uh, for this show is actually also from a Jeff uh, from a, a, a Jack Shirley production. Um, the first the first guest of the show is uh, Tyler from Gouge Away, 
Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, li- I listened to that episode. Yeah, it was good. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that uh, band rules. I love yeah. that band. Dude, they're the freaking best. I like when I played a show with them and like I, I listened to their records and I liked it. And then like I saw them live and I was like, this guy's a fucking monster. Like this, this yeah. whole band, like that band has a presence on stage that is just otherworldly. They like the sounds they're able to make and, and stuff. It's just incredible. And the bass sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen them live. I, I've, I always wanted to, but I uh, never had the chance. Yeah. I think they played in yeah. San Francisco semi recently, but I think it was so, uh, it was opening for another band. I can't remember who, but I think it was sold out, and mm-hmm. I was kind of bummed about that. But yeah, uh, yeah. Brent Sugar is a, a great record, and that's that's part of the reason why we we went with Jack, is just because you know that record, and he just had such a great track record of of just awesome sounding recordings, and he and he kind of understands the kind of music that we're going for, kind of harder music, yeah, uh, and and just going in a, a raw sound, but not like. Uh, mistake ridden raw, you know what I mean? It's like like right. clean raw. <laughs> that's kind of what we're going oh. for. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I that's all. I definitely get that. That's a whole sort of. Uh, that's exactly how I would uh, like lump in like a, a bunch of bands of like these like heavier bands that are still like well produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so- a, that's what bunch. Yeah, that's what burn sugar was like. It was like this is so massive and, and, and raw sounding, but it's, it's very tight. Yeah. And it sounds um, like a band playing in a room together, which is what right. Jack's whole philosophy is. is we recorded Pharrell Bray live too. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's just his process is, is uh, playing live to recording the tape. And you just kind of get that roomy vibe where people are kind of uh, playing off of each other as opposed to just, uh, you know, tracks on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge proponent of that. I, I, I'm. Uh, that's, that's sort of my whole philosophy of music in general. It's just like you know, I, I don't. I'm not so. I like well-produced stuff, but I'm not so concerned with the end product as like a piece of art so much as I am like um, I like. I want to hear what a band sounds like, you know, yeah. together. That's the whole point. Yeah, and that's the worst when you go to a show and the band just can't like sound like themselves on the recording because it's so, <laughs> you know, pro tooled out. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of overdone these days, I feel like. And we were actually nervous going in to uh, uh, record with Jack, uh, the live aspect. We're like, we were just like tripping out if we were tight enough, if we were good enough, well-practiced enough. And uh, he kind of talked us down from a couple ledges there. And uh <laughs> basically we were being total wieners uh and he was like stop worrying you guys play music you guys play complete songs like i'll record it and it'll sound awesome and it uh and he was right it sounded killer at the end so yeah there's that there's that weird red light panic of just like yeah well you're in the moment you're like i don't want to record a record and you know (laughs) and, and then when i'm 75 years old listen to it and still prey upon or still uh, you know, focus on the mistakes I made, you know, like mm. to my dying day. Um, right. But that's just, you know, that's just, you got to get over that. And, and there's, he's a professional, he knows what he's doing. And, and the end product came out amazing. So we couldn't be happier with that. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds, um, it, it really like, it, when I was listening to it, you know, it, it it's it, it makes a lot of sense knowing it's Jack Shirley now, but it it really is like a great blend of, of all these different things. 
Um, I'm I'm interested in your history because I I wasn't I I did research and I wasn't able to find a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so we'll go way back in a minute, but first, um, did you? So you just joined Western Addiction, is that right? Like recently? Uh, I joined a few years ago in 2017, uh, right before their last album came out, Tremulous. Um, okay. I didn't record on that, but they didn't have a bass player. And they were okay. there. They needed one, obviously. And uh, I was friends yeah. with a, a couple of them, and I was acquaintances with all of them. And uh, they asked me to join. And uh, so, yeah, when the Tremblous show started, uh, that's when I joined the band. Okay, cool. And so, okay, that's a great that's a great jumping off point. So we'll go before that, and we'll we'll lead up to there. Um, did so? Were you a, a bass player before that? How did you get into like? playing music because it doesn't you know um did you have other bands like what were you doing before you joined western addiction uh i mean as a kid i i uh, played saxophone and and i was always in band growing up and then uh when i was like when i was about 14 i got a bass for christmas and uh uh i started pra- i took lessons played it all the time then started playing guitar um and it was just in my high school bands, kind of shitty high school bands. Um, sure. Uh, and uh, I had a, my guitar teacher, his name was Mark Benjamin. He was a great dude. I hope he's doing okay. I haven't taught to him in 20 years. But uh, uh, <laughs> he would just let me bring in tapes of all the songs I wanted to learn, and he'd transcribe them for me and, uh, and, and make tabs. And so basically that's how I learned bass. And so the first tape I, sent, I gave him had a bunch of Operation Ivy on it. Um, so I aimed fairly high in the, from the beginning. I kind of didn't know that, but in retrospect, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so he, he transcribed, uh, a, a bunch of songs from that. Uh, and that's kind of how I started. It was just, uh, kind of worshiping, uh, Matt Freeman. <laughs> um, oh, dude. Yeah. So he's, he's, he was my idol. He still is. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I got started. Then I started playing guitar and I was in bands uh, me and my friends, my, my high school was kind of known as being the weird high school. It had a bunch of bands at it. Uh, me and my whole, my group of friends were just in a, a bunch of bands growing up junior high through high school. Uh, and then we would always play at this place called the Phoenix theater in Petaluma, uh, which is like the, uh, the Gilman street projects, uh, of the North Bay, basically just where all the, okay. it's like the all ages venue where you could go and play your, your shitty band can play one night and then the next weekend, uh, you know, no effects would play there and it'd be packed to the, to the right. roof. Um, so that's kind of how I got my start, but I was playing in all those bands. I never played bass. I always played guitar. Um, and honestly, I, I, I didn't play bass up in a band up until the past 10 years. Um, with the band Nothington, I played bass, um, okay. uh, for a couple years. Uh, I did some tours with them. Uh, I played on their album Borrowed Time. Um, and, but you know, they toured a lot and I couldn't tour like, like they wanted to. And that was kind of my problems. Uh, I, I just wasn't trying to tour as much as everybody wanted to, uh, at that era. Right. And, uh, so that was kind of the first, uh, big band I played in. And um, yeah, then I joined Western Addiction uh, a few years ago. Okay, cool. So yeah, you're like a you're like a true like yeah like Bay Area punk lifer. 
Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent my time, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, there are, there are definitely uh, uh, much worse people to worship than Matt Freeman. Uh, oh, no, I love him. Yeah. We actually got to play. We got to play with his new band, Charger. I don't know if you've listened to them. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they're awesome. And uh, we played with them in DOA uh like a year ago and it was so killer uh it, i just never really expected to like play a show with matt freeman and it was he walked i could see him at the corner of my eye the whole time we were playing and i was tripping out <laughs> about that yeah he uh yeah the, i had a similar experience where but i'm so i'm from alabama so it was less like of bands that were around and more just like you know people like you know, you know, whatever you can find like through CDs and, and the internet and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, when I, I started playing bass in high school and uh, I was like just getting into like punk and stuff. And, you know, it started out very much like very popular bands like Thursday and Saves the Day and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a friend of mine just gave me the, the rancid, uh, self-titled uh, album mm -hmm. and he was like you gotta listen to this and he's like he's like oh and there's this song on there called axiom and it has a bass solo in it and i was like what a bass solo crazy <laughs> and then <laughs> and then i listened to it and i was like I, this doesn't even seem possible how is anybody playing this i don't i don't get what's happening here yeah um, he's nuts i i still don't quite get a lot of the things he does and he has such a distinct style too and yeah uh, yeah, I, I, I basically learned everything from copying him. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a great way to learn and a fast way to learn. You got to you got to like build chops real quick to play any of those bass lines. Yep. Or be pretty delusional one way or the other. <laughs> right. And, and he I will say, too, uh, about Matt Freeman, his uh, signature model, Squire, one of the few signature models that is really good. Is it? Oh, it's great. It's it's like a really just great, and I think it, a lot, it had a lot to do with. I think it's based on the Squire put out this line. I think they still make them, um, the classic vibe line, mm -hmm. um, and those are just. I don't know what happened. I don't know all the different things that came into into like uh, that like happened at the same time and, and to like make it. But whatever they did, and whatever factor they're using, the classic vibe line is just like they're absolutely on par with any like Mexican-made Fender, or or anything like that. Like I, I recommend those bases to basically everyone. All right, well I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, if I need and, a second base, I'll, I'll I'll pick one up. And I'll, I will say too, also uh, from from the the video I was talking about earlier of you playing, uh, you have like. Uh, you have the same bass that Tyler from Gaudiway used. Yep, and it's totally. the bass that I've it's the bass that I've been trying to find forever. Yeah, uh, I've actually watched it, I've watched bands I've watched videos of Gaudiway before and been like, hey, that guy has my bass. <laughs> I actually know yeah. a handful of people have the bass. Alex from Toy Guitar has the same bass, and uh, right, uh, it's a very popular bass. It seemed like uh, like four or five years ago, it was at every guitar center on planet Earth. But it's great bass for like the price and. Uh, I love it. It's been perfect. It's, it's like the best, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big, like, I love a traditional P bass. That's like my, you know, that's my thing. I love it. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to like mess with a P bass, I think that's like the perfect amalgam of different things where it's like, it's a PJ, but it's, you know, it's got this like P body and then it's got the Getty Lee neck on it. 
And mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, especially if you're like moving up and down on the neck, it's just like whatever they, you know, did to put it like, it's just like this great sounding bass. It just came out like, you know, however. And I think it's a guitar center, like exclusive bass or something. So it's like they made a bunch and then it's like, they don't make them anymore. So it's they're kind of hard to find anything sometimes. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I think so. They were everywhere like four years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was like, uh, I think it was, uh, I, I don't know the reason, but I think it was like, yeah, they made them and it was like a guitar center exclusive bass. And then it was like sold for, for a couple of years. Um, yeah, it's but great yeah, for, the, they, for the, for the price. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money to like be thrown around on bases and stuff. So sure. it was, it was just like the perfect kind of, like you said, the kind of hybrid of everything I kind of wanted and, right. and, and it was affordable and it's beautiful. I love the color of it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I play it every day. So. Yeah, this is, this is great because this is also a conversation I, I have several times on this show so do, do you actually, do you play both pickups? What's, what, what are you doing with the bass? Uh, honestly, I just like turn everything all the way up. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't really mess with the knobs too much. It's just kind of full blast and uh, go for it. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. That's, I wish, that's I, I, wish what... I had a cooler answer than that, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of the truth. I just crank it up. No, actually, funny enough, that is the cool answer. Cause I think, cause part of the reason I started asking people that is because I, over the years when I would play shows, I would see people playing PJ basses and like almost every time I would ask them about like their rig, they would always tell me that they just didn't turn on the jazz pickup. Mm-hmm. They would just turn it all the way off and just use it as like a straight P bass. And like, it happened enough times that I started being like, what the hell's going on? Like, why is everybody playing these PJ basses and like only playing like the P bass portion of it? Yeah. It seems um, kind of pointless. You should just get a, <laughs> get a P bass then. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it, I think a, a lot of it ends up being like, I talk. This is a conversation like Tyler and I had on the first episode, where it's like, you, it's like, I, I I'm so guilty of this, where it's like, you're playing something, you're happy with it, and then it's like, and then there's just like that little twinge of like, I wonder if I can make it a little bit better, and then it's like, so you try, you know, you try something else, and it's like, I've definitely had those moments of like playing P bass. It's like, I wish I had like a little bit more of something. Maybe I'll try PJ, yeah, and like turn on the J pickup, and then like I get one. Uh, and this is why I started getting into Squires because I was just constantly like every year, like just tr- trading in bases and like trying, trying something new. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's that's a lot expensive habit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a lot easier to justify spending like $300 a year as opposed to like a thousand dollars. Um, uh, but then it would be like, I, w- I would buy like a PJ and I would play it and then like, you know, turn everything up, turn the J pickup up and it would have this really gnarly, sound to it i'd be like hell yeah and then like a month later I'd be like, oh, i think i just i'm gonna go back to the p base yeah i mean the, the grass is always greener on the other side uh oh it's so true it's so it, when it comes to gear it's so true it's it's, it's it, and what's funny is it'll be like i'll you know i'll be like i'm i'm neurotic in that way where it'll be like uh, you know, people will come up and be like hey that sounded great and i'm still like obsessing about it you know uh, <laughs> trying to figure out like how can I make it like a 2% better or like what, you know, what does it sound like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a constant battle, but you know, but I always come back to the same thing. Like that was, you know, the end part of the conversation it's like, I keep trying all this different stuff. And then here I am 15 years later, I'm just playing the P bass through, right you know, 
Yeah, it's, it always comes back to the same rig. <laughs> well, then you know, you know, that's where your heart lies. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm interested, like, so how much is Western addiction, like, you, you said you weren't touring a lot with, uh, with nothing, Tim, but getting into Western addiction, what's that touring like? You know, are are you touring a lot with? Are, are you guys touring a lot? Like, is it a different lifestyle? Um, you know, was it a lifestyle change for you to join Western Addiction? Um, not really, to be honest. We we are kind of weekend warriors when it comes down to it. Uh, we we were trying to play more shows when this when this uh, album came out, um, mm-hmm. and obviously that got completely derailed. <laughs> um, we had these yeah. big aspirations to tour more, and it just you know it just didn't. It became this nightmare that we now find ourselves in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we, even before that, we, we would get good shows. We're lucky because we're, we're on Fat Records and like we can yep. get, get the occasional good show or the occasional string of shows with a, a cool band. Um, but, uh, you know, we're kind of older. Uh, Jason has kids. Uh, everybody's kind of, you know, part of the ba- living in the Bay Area is it's so damn expensive. It's, it's like hard to even <laughs> get away from your job. You're kind of strapped to it. So, right. I mean, we can't go on these month-long tours. Um, it's just kind of past that point for us. But we're very fortunate yeah. to, as a band just to have this freedom uh, to do what we can. Um, and uh, We are like the luckiest band in the world in that regard. Is just, uh, yeah, we, we, we can't go full bore, but we, we get pretty awesome opportunities. And we were just with this album, hoping to uh, keep that going. We had, we had some festivals booked in Europe and we were supposed to play with, oh man, it hurts so bad to even think about. We were supposed to play at my fa- favorite venue in San Francisco, the Great American Music Hall. We were supposed to play with Bad Religion. Mm. Oh my God. Uh, like two weeks before this all started or two weeks after <laughs> this all started. And then we were right. supposed to play with Propagandi at the same venue, oh like God. a month, like two months after that. Um, wow. And those got canceled, and it was just it was just going to be like the most ripping shows of all time. Um, so yeah, that that's a, a sore. <laughs> my heart still hurts over that one, but you know that's, that's life. Brutal. Yeah, that's life. There's there's worse things happening than that. So uh, yeah, just kind of sure. take it take it in stride and roll with the punches. But uh, those are going to be so killer. Um, oh but, yeah. But, but like I said, we're we're just really lucky to have the opportunities that we do have. Sure. That, that's interesting to hear. Uh, that's become, I think, a common theme on the show, which is that I, you know, I, I sort of like was operating for a long time with this mental model of like every, you know, band that I that I like and every band that I know, you know, that's sort of prominent or on like a prominent label is like, you know, out there like really grinding you know touring all the time you know professional musicians and i'm finding mm-hmm. out that a lot of people are in similar situations to me you know in in a not successful band um yeah it's you know where it's like a lot of people are still working and and it's it's you know uh it's a very hopeful i think where it's like you can be you know you can like work and have a, a, a cool like successful band doing what you want to do you know you don't have to like and and it's not um uh you're not it, it's not a failure i think is because i was sort of operating for the longest time under the thing of like well until 
until I'm, you know, a professional, until I'm doing this full time, then I'm a failure. And then it's, right. you know, and then, you know, finding out more, you know, my, my, the last episode of the show was with, um, another Bay area band, actually, um, spiritual cramp and, oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I had the same conversation with him where it's like, you know, these bands I really look up to, they're not, you know, they're also, you know, maybe doing one or two tours a year. You know, and they're doing like they're playing in their region. They're doing the weekend warrior thing. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because that that term weekend warrior is sort of like was originally like a derogatory, not derogatory, but it was kind of like you know a snide sort of comment about you know people who are not full time you know right lifers and they're, you know old guys who who have their their bands or whatever. But now it's sort of like I mean that's kind of how a lot of people operate. I mean that's just the world now. You don't make money from from music so <laughs> right you are you are so stoked if you make any money from music these days you know in, right. in the 90s you could make a career from this stuff and you could go out and tour and and have a decent career and honestly there's still bands out there from the 90s that were big in the 90s that are still doing that just because by virtue <laughs> of being from the 90s and right. uh but in in this day and age it's just the the, the balance of life is just too hard and it, you just can't make money from it um, unless you're really fortunate. And so uh, I just kind of look at it as, you know, it's for fun. It's a hobby on the side, but it's kind of like a, a elevated hobby because we're on a record label and we get these awesome shows and just take it for what it is and uh, appreciate every everything you get because, uh, I mean, these days you just got to appreciate whatever you can get. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, like being, I mean, being in a fat records band is not a, not a terrible hobby. No, no, no. It's, it's awesome. And like, if, you know, if we were in our early twenties, you can, you can drop everything and, and, you know, go on the road and, and do that stuff. But we're just kind of not that age anymore. And even back in the day when my, part of the reason why I didn't want to go on tour all the time is because I had so many friends that would be on tour all the time and, you know, they would just be, it'd be good in the good times, but then they'd come home and they'd be basically homeless and their relationships, <laughs> yeah. they would have a girlfriend and their relationship would be so strained all the time. And like, so the, the high is really high and the low is really low. And uh, it just, it didn't really work for me personally. Um, yeah. So, but when you're in that age, I say, go for it. Like go, you should go for it if, if it's good for your personality. But mm -hmm. uh, at, at this stage for us, we're, we're kind of old old farts at this point. So uh, we just, you know, go along for the ride and, and appreciate everything that we get. Yeah, totally. I've never done any like long tours. I've done like a couple of two week tours and, and one three week tour. And even then I was like, I was like very cognizant of the fact it was like, I either have to do this forever. Like I can never go back home or mm -hmm. I can't make this into a lifestyle. Like there's no, like it's gotta be one or the other. Cause it, yeah, there's, you know. there's no middle ground. You, you are either all in or like, uh, uh a band like Western addiction. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have these friends um, who are in a surf rock band and they are like true, like nomad road warriors. They tour. I mean, they play like 300, I think they play like 300 to 320 days a year. Jesus. They literally, 
Yeah, I mean, they literally that just sounds like, like that sounds like a panic attack to me. But I mean, <laughs> I mean just well, the, mental, were, the exhaustion and sleeping on floors all the time. Like, yeah, I'm too old for that at this point. I could have done it. <laughs> could have done it at some point, maybe. But uh, the wear yeah. and tear of that is 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 a bit much. But it, but cheers to the people that that can do that because it's it's awesome and it's and it's rewarding in its own right. Um, totally. Yeah, it is. It is funny, like especially being someone who's into like heavy music, punk music, stuff like that. It is like as you start to get older, some of the stuff, some of the novelty, I think, starts to wear off, and it's like, you know, like I remember going to someone's house after a show and their shower, like, you know, we were like going to use their shower, but they didn't like their shower head was just like loose in the tub. They didn't like connect to the wall at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you had to like stand there and hold the shower head with your hand and like you know as you were taking a shower and it's just like you get to a certain point in like your late 20s or 30s you're like this is ridiculous yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's no way to live but, but it's <laughs> yeah. fun it, it's fun in its own right i mean I, I i certainly had my experiences touring and uh i remember one night in europe touring i woke up and there was just broken glass all over the ground we didn't realize that we were sleeping on <laughs> and you know uh you know those those stories are fun and stuff, but uh, to do that three hundred days a year just sounds uh, exhausting at this point. Right? They're they're fun because they're they're novel. They're fun because yeah, it's like exactly. a, a, it, it's an experience. You get to go, you know you get to go home and have the story of yeah. like hey this crazy thing happened. But then when that's your whole life, it's like what yeah. the fuck is happening? Yeah, I have friends that toured uh, you know six months out of the year, and they. Right. The things that I thought were awesome about touring and the experiences they got to have, they thought the exact thing that I was living was like the awesome idea. They're like, I just want to go and have a house where I could stay oh, yeah. in a bed and have a girlfriend that I'm not <laughs> that doesn't resent me, <laughs> you know. And like, right. uh, it's just funny how you know. Again, the the the, the grass is greener on the other side, and uh, yeah, the guys that tour wants stability and the guys with stability just wish they could go out there and play some shows. So it, it is. Yeah, that is so true. It is so absolutely true. I remember there, there was this band I really loved and they were like doing it really hard. You know, they had, they had had some success and they, you know, quit their jobs and they were touring for, you know, I think like five or six years pretty, you know, they were not touring constantly, but they were able to make a living from touring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then as soon as they, as soon as they kind of like, you know, ran out of steam and like, we're kind of like, ah, we don't want to tour all the time anymore. Like as soon as they were stopped, they, they all had to get jobs. Right. And, and, and all, and what was interesting too, is not that they had to get jobs, but I remember talking to one of them after the fact and when they were kind of like more settled and, and they like, you know, working a regular job and they had like started a new band that was just kind of like playing around town on weekends and stuff. And he was like, actually, I like this better. You know, yeah. he was actually like, you know, touring was fun, but, it, you know, that life is like, you know, it, we did it while while we were hot. And then it was like, actually, this now is more like, in a way, it's funny because you would think the touring is the more free lifestyle, you right. know, of like, I'm not connected to anything. We're just on the road. We're, you know, exploring the earth or whatever. And then it's like. In a way, I mean, in a way, it's like actually kind of like, I don't know, like I don't have to depend on this thing that I'm doing to like, you know, earn. I can just sort of like 
I have, I have, I take care of, uh, of, you know, I, I make my own money in other ways. And then it's all like, well, the, this hobby, this art that I do, I'm not dependent on it at all. I can just do what I want to do. And if I want to play shows, I'll play shows. And if I don't, I don't have to. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rough lifestyle. <laughs> it's uh, like I said, there's a time and place for it and a stage in life for it. Um, and it was fun while it lasted. Uh, and, sure. But you never have to stop playing music. You can keep doing it. I mean, Western Addiction is proof positive of that. You can just have your shows every once in a while, record an album every once in a while. And, uh, you know, it's we, we wish so hard that we could go out on tour and do crazy tours. Like, that's all I want to do, really, in my soul. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, it's just too, too gnarly these days. Um, to fully commit like you would need to, to uh, happen. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, like, do you, you don't have to like get into specifics if you don't want to, but like, do you have like a, um, like a career that you're doing outside of music or is it more just kind of like just working and, and, you know, and, and making it work? Uh, I'm a copywriter. So, okay. um, yeah, I've, I've been trying to, uh, past couple of years breaking into the copywriting industry. I was in the service industry for a long time. And sure. I, uh, hospitality industry, but yeah, I'm trying to, to swerve the past few years into copywriting, uh, which is not the most exciting shit in the world, but sure. it, uh, pays the bills and, you know, yeah. uh, it's just getting to that stage where, you know, there's no, I don't know. It, like I said, it, it, you can't, it's very hard to make money on music and, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is this is what it is, and I'll, I'll keep playing music with my buddies, and it'll be fun. But it can't just be everything anymore, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I also think too, like there is sort of, you know, I think this goes for most things, but there is also like, um, I was reading um, uh, Questlove's uh, book. He wrote a book called Creative Quest, um, and part of the point he makes in that book is like, you know. Uh, you don't need to like, you know, everybody has a passion, but you can, it, so it is very helpful sometimes to also do other things or be creative in other ways. Right. And, and, and that'll actually stop you from burning out on the thing that you love. Cause that is also a common thing of like, even if it's not touring, it's like, if you're only doing one thing every day, all day, every day, it's like, at some point it's like, okay you know, unless you're making a billion dollars from it, you know, at some point it's like, I want to do something else, you know? And, and, you know, it can be very nice and helpful to have other outlets, even if they're not creative outlets, just something else to do just to like sort of mix things up. And then when you come back to the thing that you love, it's like, Oh, this is great. Like, you know, I I haven't, you know, I can just do it when I'm, when I'm, when I'm really feeling it. Yeah. I mean, yes. All the (laughs) time. I, I would play more music if I could. Um, sure. And I, I just consider myself lucky to be able to keep doing what I enjoy doing at this point. Yeah. Um, times are tough out there. So, yeah, <laughs> especially in the Bay Area. It's just so expensive to live here. And, you know, uh, you know, San Francisco drove everybody out basically at this point. Um, right. And uh, it's just a matter of survival at this point. In a, in a way. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely thought about trying to move out there at one point. Cause like I said, like I, you know, um, I work, my day job is like in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. So I was like, 
maybe I'll move over to California. And then I was just like, I just can't imagine making this work. They're like, New York's bad enough. <laughs> and then it's like somehow, somehow the Bay Area is worse than New York. Oh, it's it's gotten really bad, especially now with the this virus stuff. I don't think anyone's going to want to live in the city anymore. Uh, and, you know, all the cool businesses there, all the cool bars and restaurants, it's going to be uh, it's going to be hollowed out after this, I'm afraid. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, living in the Bay Area has been hard for the past decade plus. Sure. And uh, yeah, it's going to only get harder, unfortunately. Right. Uh, I'm curious. I wanted to ask, I'm curious about, you were saying that, you know, going through like your high school bands and, and stuff like that, you were mostly playing guitar and then you just started playing bass in the last 10 years. Um, were, I'm interested, like, because you said that you're not necessarily a gear nerd, but now that you've transitioned to like basically playing bass full time, is that uh has that become like a thing for you like do you think about bass more do you think about like you know in terms of like like when you listen to other music or do you have like have you developed more like opinions about bass like i'm i'm interested in like people who you know uh you know uh there are obviously like people who are like lifetime bassists like i've been playing bass you know since i was in high school so you know that i've had a lot of time to like you know, really get obsessive about it and stuff like that. But I, I also find it very interesting people who go from not being like, a, you know, you, you learned bass in high school, you were taking lessons and stuff, but then, you know, it, it transitioned to guitar. So I'm now interested in like, now that you are playing bass full time, you know, is it, is it become like, you know, maybe not an identity for you, but is it sort of in that thing of like, do you think of yourself as a quote unquote bass player? Do you, do you think, do you find yourself thinking about bass and, when you listen to music, having opinions about the bass and, and stuff like that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, for pretty much since I was 14, I, I've mostly considered myself a bass player more than a guitar player the whole time. Um, and oh, interesting. Uh, I only played ba- uh, guitar in bands just because my good friend played bass uh, in all the bands. And I just <laughs> always ended up playing guitar because of that. But uh, I always connected more with the bass since day one. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, every night when I go to bed, I'm laying there in bed, I'm thinking about bass lines and my bass lines and my songs. <laughs> uh, I've always just connected with the bass a lot. I'm not quite sure uh, what it is about it, but I just love it. And I love the, the movement of it. And just the, it's, it's such an underappreciated instrument, I feel like. People don't even really, some people don't even really understand its place in music like more casual music listeners don't even understand bass guitar uh, fully. I feel like because um, it's just buried under the guitars most of the time. Um, but yeah, I've always just had a connection more with the bass. Um, and, and lately, uh, you know, I, I said, I'm, I'm not really a gearhead, but I'm trying to get better about that. Cause I just realized growing up playing bass, I never really had the money or the gear to like really be a gearhead. And now sure. that I'm in a position where I'm in a band where we're, we're playing and it's a little more serious, I should know what I'm talking about <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so I've, I've, in the past few years, I've definitely tried to be more, to, to sharpen my wisdom when it comes to the bass. Yeah. And I always, when I listen to music, when I listen to, to punk rock or any kind of uh, music with bass guitar in it, I, I, I think I, I, I pay more attention than the average listener 
to the bass and kind of how it affects me. Oh yeah. Big time. Uh, that's cool. That's cool to hear. It's also funny to hear that you had basically the exact opposite experience of most people, which is that you were a bass player who had to play guitar because right. there was already a bass player. It's usually the exact opposite. I've talked to so many people that are like, well, I started playing the bass because there were too many guitar players and with the, you know, all these bands needed a bass player. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it was interesting. And I'm not very good at singing with bass while playing bass. And in the mm. bands in high school, I, I was the singer a lot of the time too. And I can okay. sing a lot better playing guitar. Um, so that was another factor. But yeah, I just had one of my best friends, Kyle, he played bass in like all the bands. So it's just, he, he, he had dibs on it. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I play guitar instead. Sure. It is underappreciated. And I think it, especially in our community and sort of like the punk hardcore, you know, X community, because it is so much often and I'm not, I don't want to say an afterthought because I don't think that's true. It adds a sonic layer to the music, but not necessarily like a musical layer. Yeah, a lot of times just, the bass. They just play the, ba- the root notes a lot of the time, just exactly yeah. what the guitar does. Right. Um, so I think yeah, that's it, a lot it, of the confusion for listeners because they're just like, isn't that just the guitar? <laughs> right. I remember even being like really, uh, when I was like like middle school, early high school, even being like, a little bit shocked at how prominent the bass was in like Blink-182, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and that was, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, is, is, is uh, you know, as much as people trash on that band, like, Mark Office's bass sounds great. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it, I, I love it. I mean, you know, whatever you think about the songs, I, uh, that, his bass really like had a big impact on me in terms of like what I, what I think a bass should sound like. I thought it sounded great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm. I, it's funny. There's, there's Blink One Eighty Two fans. I feel like that grew up right when they were big, and then there's my generation, which is just a few years before, which is Green Day was like the big one, and sure. uh, and Mike Dern's bass was just like that was one of the first times, you know, uh, Longview where the the bass was just like such oh a, yeah such a part of the forefront of the song, and the song yeah. was basically based around the bass, and that was kind of an eye opening song for me. Uh, and just his bass playing style. Uh, but yeah, it's funny how there's like just this few year gap between generations of punk rock listeners from the nineties. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was the green day school. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I think we're probably similar age. I'm 34. Okay. I'm 37. Um, okay. Yeah. So that just makes sense. Years. Yeah. Right. And, and I remember I, I, I listened to Green Day as like a kid, as like a straight up like elementary school kid, because my dad had Green Day records. Right. And I listened to Green Day, but it for whatever, I think it was because I didn't play music at the time. And I wasn't, it was like, you know, I would listen to like Green Day and Weezer. I was like, yeah, this is cool. I like this, you know, but it wasn't like an obsession. Yeah, you weren't, wasn't you weren't until, quite the age for it to totally blow your right. like, brain apart. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in like, yeah, like middle school. Um, and then once, once it sort of like, when, once you kind of like break the seal, then it was sort of like, okay, well, now that I'm interested, of course, like I'm going to be affected by what's on the radio. And I, I didn't have like shows to go to. So it was just like, whatever's on the radio, whatever's on TV is what totally. would be, you know, interesting. And there wasn't like a huge internet you know, community at that time. I mean, this is like early 2000s, you know, yeah, or, or late 90s, early 2000s. So it wasn't like I could just go find a ton of bands. So it was just like, you know, um, but yeah, it is sort of like, I remember 
I, and I, it, it, that is probably, I think your explanation is exactly right. Where it's just like, I, I listened to Green Day, but I wasn't like, you know, obsessed with it. And then by the time I was obsessed with music, I kind of had stopped listening to Green Day. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, you and Blink One Eighty Two um, at that point was like the the big. They were the Green Day of their of their day. You know, right. they were the big biggest band in the world. Um, yeah. And you mentioned yeah, and you they, mentioned Weezer, the Blue album. That was the first album I ever listened to that just like caved my head in. Uh, I owe much of my uh, music listening as a an adult and a human being to the Blue Album. That that was like the first album right when I was going through puberty, and I just got I just got rocked by that one. I love that. Oh album. yeah, oh but yeah, same. Yeah, I was you know early. I guess like just a few, like you said, like just a few years before that. But yeah, my dad had the Blue Album, and it was just like. You know, I think we had a, like a cassette tape of the Blue Album, and it was just like, you know, he would he played it, and I remember like especially like Buddy Holly, I was just like, what the what the hell is this? Like this is <laughs> like, you know, I've never heard this before. And then you know, you listen to the whole record, like, damn, like this is so cool. Yeah, um, I still listen to that record all the time. It's it's a classic, one of the all time classics. Oh yeah, I got, I got so one time I was at a show, uh, 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 like a local show in my my old hometown, and. We were playing music over the P, you know, it was a full on like DIY local show. We were running everything. Um, and we were, um, we, we were, we, we put on the blue album over the PA, like before the band started and somebody walked over and changed it. And I swear to God, I almost got in a fight. Oh, I, I would like, be so pissed. <laughs> like, how dare you change the blue album? What are you thinking? Yeah. What an asshole. <laughs> it's just like, what is, what is happening? Who, who can't respect the blue album? This is one of the best albums of all time. I know. At least, at least sit there and listen to it. Don't just go and change it. That's a slap <laughs> in the face. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was like, you know, it, it's interesting because like, you know, Weezer doesn't have a super prominent bass. Um, some of the songs do, but not, not totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, there's just like different strands. And like there are people, there are bands with prominent basses and I think there are, there are bands without prominent basses. And I think, it's it kind of like luck of the draw which ones you get into it especially as you're younger right and that can really affect like i listened to like the first band that ever like uh, like i said i listened to the blue album as a kid loved it but when i first got obsessed with music and I, when i was actually playing music was the ramones okay. and i loved i mean for the rest of my life i love the ramones Hell yeah. um but i nothing about the bass in that band stands out it's just a great band. And well, so I think, I think in this day and age, nothing about the bass stands out, but I think right. for his time, I mean, he invented the downstroke, just sure. relentless bass that you know, I don't think quite existed in that, in that type before. Like he, he, no. he, he just started just, it's not the most artful way of playing bass. It's just pure, just bashing the string. Um, right. Which he was one of the first, Maybe not the first, but one of the first to really uh, make that big, and that in its own right is uh, a huge contribution. Basically, invented big. the kind of music I've listened to for my whole life. Right? No, 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 big time. Yeah, it took me a long time to realize that. I think it took me like to kind of like parse that out of the music and like realize what was happening. Because I, because I, that was truly like I was I don't know twelve, I think, and you know, like hearing that music for the first time, I wasn't even playing bass at the time. So it was like, 
you know, it, it was more holistic, more just like the whole raw, you know, like animal aggression of the music was like what kind of, you know, uh, opened it up. And I, and I, and what was interesting was by the time I started playing bass, I was obsessed with Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And when I started the first bass, you know, I got, I got my first bass is like a present for like a Christmas present. And I started playing along to like Jimi Hendrix records to learn bass. And what I realized a little bit after the fact was that the bass doesn't do a whole lot on the Jimi Hendrix songs. Oh no, you can't, you can't go off too hard when Jimi Hendrix is playing over you. You kind of just got to support him. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like sitting down and like, I love all these songs. Like Jimi Hendrix changed my life. I'm like, hell yeah. And then I started like trying to pick up the bass songs. I'm like, oh, like nothing's happening. Like I can't, I can't learn. I can't do anything right now. Yeah, they just held down, held down the low end, I guess. Uh, yeah. You can't go too nuts when uh, Hendrix is the guy. Like, <laughs> you can't try to show up Hendrix. Uh, right. I'm sure he didn't allow that either. If you probably played too much, you'd be like, I'll find another bass player. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Just- so, <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, it was basically just that of like, oh, like playing along with these old, old, old bands. And it took a while. And it is weird. It is funny to be like, you know, um, as a bass player where it's like, I'm, I'm not taking my cues from Hendrix, but I'm, t- I'm taking my cues from like Mark Hoppus or, you know, or Mike Dern or whatever. It's like, you know, it, it's this interesting thing of like some of these bands that I think don't get a lot of respect as like, you know, artful bands or whatever, but for whatever, you know, at the time and, and for what I was doing, those are the bands that kind of shaped a lot of that stuff. And, and rightfully so. I mean, like I said, like, I think, you know, Hoppus's bass sounds great. And I think a lot of the stuff he does is very cool. So, you know, um, a lot of that really shaped how I, how I think about bass and especially that very trebly high attack, like, you know, going, you know, going back to the Ramones thing um, that I wasn't able to like parse out as a kid, but it's just that very like, we're going to, you know, turn up the highs and mids. We're going to like, we're just going to, you know, all downstroke. I got, we had a huge conversation. I had a huge conversation with uh, Mike from Spiritual Cramp last, last episode about this. It's like, you know what? A downstroke just sounds better than an upstroke. And if you got to play a lot of notes, you better just figure out how to downstroke them all because it just sounds better. Oh, yeah. You got to downstroke if you can. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a must. Yeah, I remember I've, I've developed all these weird habits over the years where because I used to play in like an instrumental surf rock band and huh. um, we obviously like the the bass lines I was writing for that band was a lot. There's a lot. There's there's a lot of notes. It's a lot of moving. It's a lot of like eighth notes. And I'm a big like, you know, downstroke guy. So I developed all these weird habits where like I started like I, I think I've seen Mike Freeman, uh, Matt Freeman do this. I can't remember. I've seen somebody do it before, but I, I started like when I'm playing, I'll like, I'll grab the G string with my pinky. I'll uh-huh. just like literally like, just like grab onto it with my pinky. Cause it's like, I, I got to keep my hand in place somehow while yeah, I'm like, playing some, all these notes. Some leverage. Right. Yeah. So I've developed all these weird, like probably bad habits over the years. I'm just like, but you know, it's like, I, I think now if I was trying to take lessons, you know, some very technical bass player would probably be appalled because it, but it's just like it, uh, you know, learning to play, it was more sonic. It was, it was less about technique and it was more like, I'm trying to make this sound as good as possible. And so like, it right. sounds better 
when I, it sounds better when I hit the note down. So I'm just going to, I'm always going to do that as much as possible. Right. I mean, that's, that's punk rock in a nutshell right there. It's kind of just uh, feeling and, and brutality over technique kind of. Um, <laughs> right. And you know, if that's just all downstrokes and just pounding the shit out of your strings, then so be it. It's, it's a stylistic choice. Um, yeah. So there's nothing wrong with either approach really. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it's funny. Cause I think you were saying like you wanted to get more into gear, like just learning about bass stuff. But I mean, honestly, that is over the years. I mean, that is just sort of how it's been for me where it's like, I, I, I honestly don't, I think know as much technical stuff as I should, but a lot of it was just like, I'm trying to do X. So like, how do I do that? You know, right. it's like, okay. Uh, well, I want to sound like Lemmy. Well, what amps did Lemmy use? And then we go find what amps Lemmy used. And like, okay, oh, shit. Cool. So, you know, it's like, all right, well, all right, he used these types of amps. And like, okay, you can play a guitar amp, but you should have bass speakers and you can do, you know, it's just like finding out all these different things. It's just like, you know, just constant, like, you know, like I said, I'm like an obsessive nerd about this crap. So it's just like, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, I told a story recently on the on the show about like um, there's a Saves the Day record called Sound the Alarm. Oh yeah, and, I know that one. Yeah, that is that is like the high point. That of bass, bass player bass. rocks on that album. I don't know his name. I know the original it's, bass player. He's one of my favorite bass players, the original guy. But then the yeah, the Sound the Alarm is is really good. You know who it is? It's Manny from Glassjaw. Oh, is it okay? I never yeah. really listened to that band. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's Manny from Glassjaw. And, uh, I remember I was, I was telling the story of like, that is like, when I listened to that record, I was already a huge Saves the Day fan from, from, you know, adolescence. It's just like, that was one of those bands where it, right time, right place, listen oh, yeah. to the record. and like, this is changing my life. Um, I think the, the, actually the first band I was ever in was not a real band. I mean, we got together, we played a couple of shows, but I, it was mostly just us getting together and covering Save the Day songs. Mm -hmm. That was like the whole band. Um, and but I, but when Sound the Alarm came out, I was like, "This is insane! Like this sounds incredible! Like yeah, this bass, I don't." Yeah, and that's I a, that's like, a really overlooked Save the Day album. I feel like people only pay attention to uh, the main two albums. Sure. But that's like the, I think that's the best album outside of the main two. Uh, and man, oh. the, the lyrics are so depressing. I think he was having, <laughs> I think he was having a mental breakdown when he wrote that album. Cause uh, yeah. Wow. Yowza. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, I read an interview with Chris one time where somebody was like, there's this weird thing where like all of your songs are very cannibalistic. Poppy. He talks yes, about the, yeah. being eaten all the time and his face getting ripped off. It's like, Whoa, bro! That's what that's what you're writing in your journal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all his lyrics are very like gruesome. They're all yeah. about body parts and stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, when that when that record came out, I was like, this blew my mind. And I I spent I mean I must have spent months trying to find how he recorded that record because I was just like I'm obsessed with his bass tone. And so I finally tracked down like a MySpace post or something that had. Manny was like, "Hey, people have been asking me about this." So, and and it laid out like how he recorded everything, and it was this convoluted setup of like playing through like a very small solid state amp, splitting the signal to 
you know, a board with distortion and stuff and blending it all together. It's like, you know, studio magic, but right. you know, uh, but it was just like, I was just like, that is how I learned, you know, most of my stuff over the year. And I don't know a lot of technical stuff. Like, I don't think I could, you know, outside of a couple of specific things, I couldn't like repair an amp, but it's just like over the years, constantly being like, I want to, you know, I want to sound like X or I think what, you know, what this person is doing is cool. And it's just like not treating it like a class where I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta sit down and learn all this stuff. But it's just like, you know, I found a base, there's a base forum called talk base that I, that I like scour every day. And you just find like random tidbits of information of like, you know, and, and it's stuff that you have to learn at some point, you know? And so it's good to like get into that where it's like, oh yeah. Uh, you know, like a, a one that a lot of people have trouble with impedance on amps, you know, uh-huh. it's like, you got to figure that stuff out sometime. You got to figure out that you can't plug, you know, this head into these two cabs or it's going to blow up. Yeah. I mean, these, these rad bass tones aren't a mistake. People do their research and, uh, you know, <laughs> figure it out. And yeah, that bass sounds killer on the album. Uh, yeah. If you can replicate it, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is also like a lot of it is just like, you know, um, I mean, he's good um the engineer is good i mean some of that stuff is just like right place right time but you know it's helpful to like look into that stuff i think and try to figure out like what the hell's going on why does it sound like that but the large but the larger point is just like you know i think it comes with uh, a lot of it is just like having to like figure stuff out on the fly a lot of times like i've figured i've had to figure stuff out at shows because like something broke yeah or you know, you know, sometimes you got to improvise stuff and it's like, you know, sometimes you can find cool stuff. Um, and yeah. And sometimes it's a complete accident. We've had shows where I, I play, I borrow somebody's amp and don't even really think about the tone and, you know, just kind of go for it. And then you see a video afterwards, you're like, wow, that sounded killer. I, I will never <laughs> be able to replicate that. But for that one show, it sounded pretty awesome. Uh, right. Uh, it, yeah. So if, I'm sure if you did your, your research and really pinned down what made it awesome, you could uh, really find some good tones, but I'm not that right. smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I had a pretty opposite experience one time, which is that the first like tour, the first like real tour, we did a lot of like, you know, similar to what you were saying, like weekend stuff. We would go out for two to three dates, you know, around the region or whatever, you know, doing a weekend thing, come back, go back to work or whatever. Um but we did like the the surf band that I was in did an actual like we were like let's just fucking you know, let's do it let's ask vacation from work let's do a two week tour and so literally pulling out of the garage getting ready to go to our first show van breaks down oh, so sounds sounds about right <laughs> yeah so we have to like uh, we we have to like on the fly call our friend and get a smaller van and so we're like well we can make this work but can't bring the eight by ten. Like, like we can fit everything else except the eight by ten. You can but fit like, it on the roof. roof. You can fit it on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably we probably should have. Um, but, That's not you know. dangerous at all. <laughs> just strap it down um, with some bungee cords. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it'll just make the car less liable to roll over. You know, it brings the center of gravity down. Exactly. Um, but uh, but I I was just like, all right. I mean. You know, we're playing. We're playing all these shows. All these shows are booked. Somebody will have a bass amp. I can make it work. You know, I've I've done it this long enough. I can I can make anything work. It won't sound great, but I can make it work. And then, I mean, to a T, almost every show I would show up, and I would be like, 
you know, hey, uh, you know, we had a thing. Can I borrow your, you know, I had my head. I had the, I, that was like, I was touring with the Galen Kruger 800 RB. I was like, I have a head. Can I borrow your cab or can I borrow your bass amp? I mean, it's just like every show, whoever would ask me like, yeah, totally. You can borrow my bass amp. And I'm like, great. You know, what do you have? Let me get it set up. And he was, and it would just be like, oh, it's something that's over there in the corner. I don't know. It's, you know, my guitar player had it sitting in his basement and mm. that's what I use. It's just like, I was just, you know, that was like the first time I was like, man, there's like a weird, like, not, you know, a lot of these people are not obsessive about bass, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm like over here, like I spend all my free time, you know, reading like a bass form, trying to figure out stuff, you know, trying to figure out what, what's the perfect bass to buy. And it was just like, you know, that was my first introduction to like, oh yeah, I think maybe I'm an outlier here and not a lot of, you know, not everyone is obsessed about this as I am. Right. I mean, I wish I was a little more towards your end of the uh, base obsession spectrum. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just was never that picky, I guess. <laughs> and how, it's just, how, it's just oh, hard when you, when you can't afford, you know, all this sure. stuff. This shit is so expensive. So it's just kind of like, this is the base I have. This is the amp I have. Let's make it work, you know? Oh, yeah. No, no. And, and honestly... I, I remember reading this interview a time with um, Nate from the band Converge, uh-huh. and he was talking about like there's an interesting thing that happens where it's like you're trying to recreate all these things that you grew up on, and he was like, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I, I, he basically says like, you know, I'm trying to like get that good grind, that like really you know blown out you know bad brain sound, and it's like, but on the flip side, they were probably just. I mean, they were broke. They were probably just playing whatever bass amp they could find and turning it up as much as possible. Yeah. You know, it probably wasn't as thought out as I'm being about, you know? So a lot of the stuff that you idolize is like probably for the most part, you know, uh, a, a product of coincidence and, and happenstance, you know, it's just like some yeah. of that stuff is just like a product of what they had around. Um, and, and just, they were just making it work, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, if you if you if you love the sound, you can manufacture it. More power to you. Uh, <laughs> sure, yeah. There's a, there's a whole industry built on that, and uh, yeah, and Converge has a pretty good bass tones, if I recall correctly, too. Oh man, and, yeah, that's uh, he's he's one of my favorite. He's the yeah, like he the band's killer. Um, I'm interested, like, uh, when you how cognizant of you are uh, of you on like. I guess tone or how the bass is fitting in when you play live. Cause like, obviously the type of music that you play lends itself to, you know, play in, you know, some, I know you had all these big shows booked, but also you probably play in a lot of smaller rooms, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. And it's just like, sometimes it's just like a big mass of sound. So right. how, how cognizant of you uh, is it, is it more of just like, I, I got the setup that I like, I show up, plug it in, turn it up, let's go. Or is it, you know, are you, uh, are you and the guitar players like obsessing over the sonic qualities of it beforehand? Like what's the process like for playing live? Uh, we're pretty relaxed when it comes to tones. We're not, I wouldn't say we're obsessive by any means. I, sure. I like to have the bass kind of just right up there with the guitars in terms of, of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be too loud because that's that's the worst when you go to a show and the bass is just like way too loud <laughs> and just like punching you in the face. But yeah. I also don't like it when all you hear is guitar and like there's just no bass. 
So it's just kind of writing that same level with them and just having, I I also don't like it when the bass is super trebly and it's got that sound to it, you know, like the rubber band sound to it. (laughs) Uh, And and, uh, honestly, I've accidentally had that tone at a handful of shows just because we we borrow borrow amps so often. But uh, in my dream setup, it's just bass that, that, Pokes out, pokes its head out from under the guitars, but is kind of right there with the guitars. And there's bass, but it's not blowing anybody away. And it's just a, like a, a healthy balance between the two. But if you want to hear the bass and what I'm doing, you can. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's not smacking you in the face, you know. Yeah. And what's the what's the writing process like for Western Addiction? Are you are you writing your own bass lines? Is somebody coming in with ideas? Like how, how are you guys putting together songs? So Jason writes all the songs. Um, okay. and he, uh, he's got a pretty raw style. We'll say he, uh, <laughs> he will just like uh, record himself playing on his phone or something. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have to take the riffs that he writes and interpret them and kind of repurpose them in a way. Uh, but yeah. he's brilliant at it. I've, he has a crazy raw talent for songwriting. Uh, I'm realizing that, like, almost the fact that he he's not he's not like an expert professional musician by any stretch of the imagination, but that's almost right. like his superpower. Like he, sure. the rawness of his of his songwriting is kind of like what makes Western Addiction Western Addiction. And so we take what he writes and kind of interpret it in a way. Um, the bass lines I write, uh, sometimes he writes parts of them, like the beginning of, of, uh, uh, they burned our paintings. He wrote that bass line, uh, very okay. slowly. He played it like one fourth of the speed, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, and I added little, like little things to it to kind of give it a little more, uh, flair, but he wrote that. But then like within the song, uh, it's mostly, I wrote the bass lines, uh, underneath everything that's going on. Uh, yeah. But it's more it's more the moments where the bass is like in the forefront than Jason probably wrote that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I like that process a lot. I, um, I'm i a big fan of like, like I was saying earlier, you know, I'm not so obsessed with the final product. You know, it's got to be good, obviously. We've got to be happy with it. But I'm more interested in the band. It's as a like a, a whole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, the reason we're doing this is not like, I'm not, I'm not a painter. I'm not trying to like make a, I'm, you know, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not trying to put out a piece of art so much as I'm, I'm interested in the, the act, the act of, of making the music as the, like the, the being, you know, uh, being in time with other people, connecting with the other musicians and like, you know, I th- I think that process is much more interesting to me, you know, and, you know, thinking about like what music was, you know, originally made as, a, you know, this communication tool. It's like, I like the sort of um, that, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just that quality of like being in the moment, you know, connecting with other musicians, being in the moment, making right. something together. That is so much more interesting to me than whatever the final product is. So, I actually had a, a noise rock band for a while um, where that was sort of my guiding principle was like, I'm never going to come in and be like, 
the song has to sound like X or, you know, we're going to make this type of song. I was like, you, you're all my friends. We're going to start a band. And the guiding principle is that we're playing together as friends. Whatever comes out of it comes out of it, you know, and if it changes, it changes, you know, we're not, you know, but the guiding principle is we're going to make music together and we're going to make, we're going to do what feels right to us in the moment and whatever comes out of that comes out of it. So I like that process of like, you know, you have somebody that's got the idea for the songs. It's like, I wrote this riff. I'm going to give it to you. I'm, you know, maybe I'm not going to give you any guidance. It's like, I wrote this riff, you know, write a baseline for it. And what's cool about that is everybody in the band's got different influences, got different histories. So you're going to interpret the riff just a little bit differently than he wrote it. And so you're going to bring in a little, you know, maybe he wrote it as thinking of X, Y bands and you're thinking of A, B bands. And it's just like, it's that meshing of like the different influences where you start to like actually create something unique. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's it's that's kind of how Western Addiction works. Like he brings in Jason brings in these riffs, and like I said, we kind of have to interpret them. We practice. I know I I know some bands that like never practice unless they absolutely have to, and uh, we practice like once a week. And and writing this album took us like a year of constant practicing, and so we had a lot of time to kind of add our own parts in our own heart to to the songs and i think that's kind of what you need to do with music it can't just be like on the fly or like you know you have to really put a lot of thought into your individual parts and that's what makes music so special whether people realize it or not the end product is is more special because everybody added their own flair to it and their own style and all the best bands might not have the best musicians but they have they are able to they have their own style that nobody can replicate uh, it doesn't matter if you're a master of the bass or, or what, but you can't play it exactly like this guy did. And that's why it's perfect as it is because this guy did it the way he did it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I mean, this is like one of my biggest, like uh, maybe not pet peeve, but just like one of my biggest, like, <laughs> like philosophical movements in music for, for myself is that the, like I said, the point of the band is that we're, this collection of people at this time playing music together. And if everybody's bringing in their own stuff and everybody's contributing and everybody's like, you know, um, kind of bringing their own influences and their own histories to the music, no band should sound alike. Yeah. (laughs) Because every band is a different collection of people. So every band should sound a little different, you know, and people are going to share influences, but it's like, but everybody's got a little bit of different technique or, uh, skill level or history or influence. It's like, it's always just a little bit different. So every band should have their own flair to it. You should be able to, you know, you should be able to find that little bit of flair in every band because if we're doing it right, every, you know, the, the whole point is that I'm listening to this band because it's this collection of people. And so I want to hear what this collection of people sounds like. I don't want to hear five bands that all sound the same because, well, then what are we doing here? You know, it's like, you know, why are we copying each other as opposed to being like, you know, like I said, everybody's got influences. So you might, you know, there's genres and things like that. But but the point is, like, if everybody's kind of like approaching it that way and bringing their own their own thing to it, like you said, you can't, you almost can't recreate it. You almost can't, you know, fully replicate it because it's like it's this sound, these songs, this, you know, 
whatever's happening on on this record is specific to these people of this time period. And so it should have that little bit of special factor to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why music connects with people. It's because it's a it's essentially a human thing. And, right. you know, electronic music I don't think captures the same thing of just the human element of music and it's very subtle things that that players do um but it's it's indelible the mark that they leave on it um and and the best bands in the world are are just comprised of musicians that might not like i said might not be the most ripping ish, uh you know instrumentalists of all time but they have their own spin on it and that's that's what makes the magic and uh all you can do is try to do that when you when you play mu- music too is uh, you know, not be a robot and kind of add your own spin to things. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big, I'm glad you said that. That's like a big lesson thing, thing for a lot of people is like, you know, if there's anything I've learned from like growing up, like listening to punk music and stuff, it's like, you know, you know, some of the, some of the albums that I've connected the most with that have, I mean, truly like on a base level changed my life, have changed me as a person, have been people that didn't know what the fuck they were doing at all. Oh, you know? yeah. And it's just like, but there's a certain urgency to that of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I got to get this out right now. You know, there's, you can almost feel that quality in the music of like, I, none of us are trained. None of us know what we're doing. You know, I mean, the misfits could barely play their instruments, but, <laughs> but it's like, yeah. but, but you, but you listen to it and it's that it is sort of like that raw quality of like, we're just got to go with it. We just got to, you know, we have to do this right now and we're going to use whatever we got and talent wise and gear wise and production wise. It's just like, we're, you know, we got to do the best we can do with it, but we're not waiting around until we're all virtuosos. We're just going to like, we got to make this music right now. No. Yeah. And sometimes the fuck ups are, are exactly what, what the music needs. Like jury only is a perfect example of that on hybrid moments like his bass is not perfect it's uh <laughs> yeah. it's kind of off time at, at points but that's right. kind of the, the signature of the song and I, I don't know if you've ever listened to the band the explosion have you ever listened to that band oh yeah i love the explosion yeah the album flash 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 is like one of my favorite mm. albums but the drummer yeah. is one of the worst drummers i've ever heard <laughs> on like a, yeah. on like a, a a great punk album but for some right. reason it totally works like He's not a very good drummer, and like there's some songs where he's completely off, but it's it just it wouldn't be the same album without him, and right. and uh, and then they got a new drummer on their next album, and it just wasn't the same. Like it was too polished sounding. It was like the the rawness of what they were trying to do was what spoke, and uh, sometimes the rawness is 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 what's the best part of your band. You might think as the band that it's like a weakness, but to people listening to your band, that's like what connects to people. Um, yeah. That's been, that's been my big defense of Meg White for the longest time was that I'm not the hugest White Stripes fan, but I was like, if you had, if you had Jack White and like a jazz drummer, that band would not have sounded good. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, uh, yeah, that's a perfect example as well. Like she keeps it simple um, and they are wildly successful and <laughs> uh, you know what? They're good. And it's yeah. because it's only two people, so you definitely got to give them the credit that each right. person deserves. And uh, yeah, she did great. Yeah, it adds a lot just being the simple kind of you know steady 
you know, rock beats because it, it, it lets, you know, it just, it just adds that quality to the music. I mean, another big one that I always go to tell people is like, I mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite bands of all time, I mean, hugely influential me is Husker Du. Uh-huh. And those records, I mean, the songs are great. They sound like trash. I mean, yes. Zen Arcade straight up sounds bad. But when you, when I went back, I, I read that, that book, uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life. Mm-hmm. And there's a section on, on Husker Du, and they talk about like recording that record. And it's like, once you kind of, once you kind of read about how, like what the process was like of like, okay, Bob Mould's writing all these like very, like very polished, you know, sort of like pop songs, kind of just like straight, like 80s and 90s pop rock songs. Mm -hmm. But then they would go to record and like, we're going to take all these pop songs. We're just going to play them as fast as we can humanly play them. Yeah. We're just like, we're just, we'll play them until we, until literally we can't play them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, they go in, they recorded Zen Arcade in I think two days. I think it's two days. I think they, they wow, literally yeah. were just like, yeah, they set up. And I think I, I, for some reason it's in my head, they set up like in a church, but they, yeah, they just set up somewhere with the recording equipment. And they were like, we have all these songs. We've rehearsed the crap out of them. We're like, turn on the, turn on the mics. We're just going to play them as fast as we can. And they just like knocked it out. And it was just like, you listen to it now. And it's like, a lot of these songs sound like trash on a, on a sonic level. You know, yeah. the guitar has got this weird muddled quality to it. But the beauty of that record is that these songs are so good. And there's a, a there's this raw, like, you know, energy to it. There's this raw sort of like, you know, uh, you know, velocity to it that makes the record. And it, and it, it, you know, that's what makes it a classic record. And it almost doesn't even matter that it's not it's not a technically perfect record or maybe the the tones are weird or it doesn't necessarily match or sometimes the instruments are off time it's it's the the more intangible qualities to it that is like yeah this is a classic record yeah absolutely and you know that that goes back to us like kind of tripping out about recording live with jack we, we were worried about it you know we we were worried about it not being perfect we were worried about the drums not being gridded and all that bullshit and it kind of became apparent that like you know we're a hardcore band like why are we why are we tripping out about this stuff? And Jack kind of uh, assured us that the end product would be be good. We don't have to trip out about these perfections that uh, we can never attain, anyways. And uh, it, it was a it was a good reminder that like we listen to punk rock for a reason. It's it's rough around the edges. There might be a mistake, God forbid, but uh, that's kind of if it's such a bad mistake, you can you can redo it if you want, but. Those are the, the kind of signature things that make albums uh, not homogenous, you know, that makes them stand out and kind of humanizes them. And I, I think that's kind of an unfortunate thing happening in music these days is, is just the homogenization of music and make it, you know, it can't just be a drummer playing anymore. It has to be a drummer that's perfectly aligned to a metronome and, you know, uh, and making sure everything's just perfectly aligned. And that's, that's cool. I mean, it's, it's music technically, but um, I'm glad that on this record, we end up going the route of, 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 you know, warts and all, you know, your music right. is your music and there, and, and it's the five of us making music. We might not be perfect, but that's, 
that's what makes music beautiful and a human uh, thing and, and how you connect with other people on a deeper level. And I think, I think whether we realize it or not, that's what, that's why we connect to punk rock um, is just the human aspect of it. And just the, you don't have to be perfect at it. It's just, you know, it's inspiring in that, in how human it is. Yeah. That's such a great way to put it. I like, I love that phrase. It's your music. Cause it's so simple and it's so true. It's like, yeah, this is your music. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, it, it doesn't have to be like, I always use the analogy that I used earlier of like to a painting. Cause I think that's like a great way to, to visualize it of like a painter paints, but you know, very rarely do you get to see the process of somebody painting. You know, it's more about like whatever is on the, on the back end of it. You know, it's, it's more like, making sure that it's as good as it can be, that it's a representation of what you wanted. And it's like the, the, all the focus is on the, the end product, you know? And so, uh, you know, a lot of times I think people kind of approach music that way, or it's like, you know, we have to make it, you know, as technically perfect as possible. It's got to have this production. It's got to have, it's got to be, you know, we got to have the metronome. We've got it, you know, we can only play in X time. And it's like, mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, part of the fun of the, of the product is listening to people connect with each other. Because like you said, you know, like I said, that phrase, it's your music. Like, I want to hear what you're doing, you know. And if if you're trying to sound like somebody else or if the production is so, if it's so perfect, it's it's it, it does take away that human element of like, I mean, it, it reaches a certain point where you're like, I probably could have just made this without the musicians. There's a, there's a certain point of like yeah. production that's so good. It's like, you probably could have just programmed this without even playing. Absolutely. And then at that, at that point, it's like, why are we doing this? Like what, what's even the point now? Yeah. And you got to think about the music that you grew up that made you love music in the first place. Like this might be the hip thing is having a computer program, make you sound like uh, five robots playing music together. But like, that's not why you listen to the Ramones. That's not why you listen to the Misfits. That's not why you listen right. to any of these bands. It was the the little the little things inside of it that that connected with you and made it relatable and made you think I can do this. Like if I just learn bass or guitar, I can I could do this too. And um, yeah, I've, I I I feel like music has just become a little too streamlined these days. Be- probably just because it's so easy now to record yourself and so yep. easy to just constantly be fucking with your, with your music and making it perfect. Whereas back in the day you had like a day to record 12 songs and it's just like, uh, well, it is what it is, you know, and you either practice a bunch and got it, you know, somewhat solid or you didn't and you just had a shitty record. And yeah. now people can just tinker with it until it's just completely homogenized and just perfect but it kind of comes at a price for some some music, I feel like. Um, yeah, for sure. But it's, you know, it's scary also going to recording. You want it to be as good as it could be. And in the beginning, you're like, man, I hope, like I said earlier, I, you, you get there and you're like, man, I hope I don't make a mistake that 30 years from now, like it's all I think about when when someone mentions Frail Bray and my, my brain just goes to this one mistake that I made in a song. Uh, maybe that's just the perfectionist in me. Uh, but uh, I think we we were able to make a record that had kind of the warts there, but my perfectionist can uh, inside of my heart can kind of calm down and be like, all right, this is, this is a cool punk punk rock record and it's not perfect, but what, what the hell is that I love, you know? 
Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautiful. I think that, and uh, yeah, I think that's a great spot we can uh, wrap up. Um, sure. I'm, I'm curious uh, to wrap up. I was going to ask you what what is in your future, and then I realized there's probably no way to know. So I'm curious of your thoughts of what's going to happen as opposed to what what are you planning on? Because none of us really know what's going to happen anymore. I mean, yeah. we might come out of this. There might be no venues anymore. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious as to, you know, your your thoughts and opinions about what music is going to look like over the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I was I, I normally ask people what advice they have for people who want to be creative, people who want to have a band, people who want to do this. I think we've pretty much covered it. I think, you know, I, I, I think all the stuff you were saying about you just got to I mean, there's that quality of just like, don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait. Don't 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 wait until you are so good at bass or, or whatever, you know, um, just go out and make, you know, if you've got music in you, you got to make it. So just go do it. And maybe you're not happy with your first record you'll be happy with the second one or the third one you just got to keep doing it um yeah. so i think we covered that ground so I'm, I'm curious as to if you have any thoughts and opinions about what music is going to be like over the next couple of years i mean yeah the future is going to be a very interesting thing uh when it comes to music um there's going to be a lot of closures a lot of a lot less venues i feel like and probably the big corporations and big music corporations probably going to scoop up a lot of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but you know, music's music's music. It's going to keep. It's a human thing, and it's going to keep happening. Uh, it might mm -hmm. not happen. At, you know, the cool bands might not be playing at at cool venues, but they might be playing in basements and and stuff right. like that. Um, uh, for us, I just hope we can. I just want to go to Europe again. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's that's my big goal. I just I hope that we can go to these festivals that we were supposed to play. This year, yeah. next year, it got, I mean, hopefully things are straightened out by then. Um, uh, but, you know, just it's going to be probably a slow transition back to normal life if it's ever really going to be normal again. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to it's going to survive. It always has and it always will. Um, and it's just going to be more even more under the radar than it's been the past 20 years. It's. Uh, you're going to hear bullshit on the radio. It's going to be uh, stupid, <laughs> but <laughs> but there's always going to be good music under the radar. You just got to know where to find it. And it's, it might be a little harder to find, but at the same time, the internet, while it has kind of created this big uh, oversaturation of music in a way, there's just so much damn music now that it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to really stick out. But also at the same time, the internet has opened a lot of, gateways for bands so it's just going to be more finding the bands that you like and 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 keeping keeping aware of what they're doing and uh it's it's going to be weird man uh but i have trust that it will it'll survive and it'll still be good um and and as for western addiction uh we're just gonna keep keep doing it until we can't so <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Maybe we'll all start doing those like uh, those like live shows that Goldfinger are doing. Oh yeah, those are. I mean, you need to have some pretty cool equipment to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how they do it, and I can't. Like, they, there's something about that that they've they've really cracked the code on that because I think it's called being rich. I, 
It's called being, <laughs> being, a, being a rich music producer. It yeah. makes it, it makes it say you can produce music pretty good. That'll do it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I because I, I you know I'm not like a huge like uh, internet music. I, I also do a little bit of comedy or I have in the past, and like a lot of people are doing like zoom comedy shows and i'm just like i can't i can't be a part of this i can't yeah i can't get into this so i'm hoping that that doesn't become like the as as well as they've been able to put those together i you know i don't i I really hope that's not the future um i don't think it is this is just a this is just a bump in the road we're gonna get past it as long as you know it'll things will persevere uh if 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 the future only holds zoom concerts it's going to be a pretty sad future. So I'm going to hope against hope against that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's a great place. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.